Welcome to Modern Figures Podcast, a show where we're elevating the voices of black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce. We're your hosts, Dr. Jeremy Waysom and Dr. Kyla McMullen. This podcast is sponsored by the National Center for Women in Information Technology, or NCWIT. NCWIT is a nonprofit organization that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase participation of all women in the field of computing. Kyla and I are representatives of the Institute for African American Mentoring and Computing Sciences, or IMCS, which serves as a national resource for Black and African American students, faculty, and industry professionals in computing. Special thanks goes to our listeners who contribute to the podcast by supporting our online store, which you can find at our website, www.modernfigurespodcast.com. All right. Thank you for joining us. We have another Ask Us Anything episode. We got these questions from some of you, some of our faithful listeners at the Grace Hopper Conference that were submitted on Instagram and Twitter. And we're just going to roll through these and answer them. And if you have questions for us, please feel free to send them to us on any of our social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can email us at askus at modernfigurespodcast.com. So, all right, let's jump into it. You ready, Jerry Bear? I think so. All right. <laughs> All right. Our first question. Where did the idea for your podcast come from? First of all, thanks, Julie. Oh, yeah. Julie asks, <laughs> where did the idea for your podcast come from? Um. Okay. So we happen to be wearing our NC Wit shirts today. Yeah. Which is those kind of, of you cool. Can see us. <laughs> um, it says, listen. And on the back... On the bike. Here, you can read it. What does it, it say? It says, the idea you don't have is the voice you haven't heard. Inclusion oh. changes what's possible. Yes. Amen. Amen. We agree. So we got these at NCWIT Summit earlier this year. Got them at Grace Hopper. Mm, I got mine at Grace Hopper. I got mine at NCWIT Summit. Oh, you fancy then. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So they actually gave these out at NCWIT Summit and... Um, they had some left over, so they brought the remaining shirts to NCWIT Summit. Ah, okay. Yeah, which is kind of cool because yeah. I definitely tried to take two shirts and they told <laughs> me, no, I think they might have ordered more actually. Anyways, um, the podcast actually is a collaboration with NCWIT, and so what ended up happening is at their summit two years ago, yeah, yeah. two years ago... <laughs> Um, there was kind of an apparent need to support African-American women. So there's there's a huge lack of resources available uh, for the demographic that we are a part of. Yeah. And so there was a pretty contentious conversation. And I guess there were a couple of people in the room who were willing to stay after and talk with the person who organized the meeting about ways that they could move forward and try to kind of mend the fences between NCWIT and our community. Yeah. And um, so Kyla was part of that conversation. Yeah, we... Along with uh, Dr. Christina Gardner-McCoon. Hey, Christina. Who also here is here at the University of Florida. And they, I guess, the conversation must have resonated well with them. Yeah, so we... It was actually a two-parter kind of thing where during the actual uh, 
the first session we were in, you know, there were resources that were given, but we basically just tried to quell the audience. Like, all right, everybody, rah, 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 sit down. But then at the end of the conference, there was definitely still this sort of feeling of what can we do? So we actually stayed after the conference ended to talk about what are the next steps? Because obviously this wasn't an intentional thing. So we started discussing, okay, we're part of IMCS, which is the Institute of African-American Mentoring and Computing Sciences. So we have a very large contingency of black women. So how can we combine our efforts to make sure that, you know, we have a really good intervention that's well thought out. And um, yeah, we iterated on a few ideas and the podcast seemed to be the best idea to us because one, Telling stories and encouraging women is one of the best ways, I think, to get more representation in computer science because a lot of times you think, oh, I can't do it. I haven't seen anybody like me do it. But I believe through storytelling, it's very, very compelling. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting about that whole thing is they didn't have to do anything. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like NCWIT could have been like, okay, cool. Great. Too bad. So sad. Thanks for letting us know. And it could have just been left at that. But I actually got an email as the project manager for IMCS from their president and CEO. Yeah. Like a week later. And she was like, we need to talk. And I have some ideas. Um, When are you free? And I freaked out. (laughs) (laughs) One, because Lucy doesn't just... Email yeah. people, that's just not... She's kind of a big deal. That's not how <laughs> she, she rolls. But also because um, the email came directly to me. It didn't go to our principal investigator, Juan Gilbert. Yeah. Um, And I found that a little intriguing that she chose to reach out to the black woman person who was I mean, it makes sense. running the, the show over here. And so... Yeah, I I I commend their commitment to this. Often we tell people, "Hey, like we've got this podcast and we are sponsored." And people people are shocked. Yeah. at how much money that we've had and how many resources that we've been given to support this cause. It's not something that they want to see go away and right. We love doing it. Right. I don't plan on going anywhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Like, <laughs> we don't know what the next steps are, you know. But yeah. <laughs> um, I am really excited to be a part of this. And I agree. Storytelling is very powerful if you do it right. So hopefully we're doing right by all of you. Yeah. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> so our next question is from... Probably barely. Barely. Do you think it's barely? I don't. I just wanted to say that. That's just you. Yeah. Okay. What are your tips for finding allies in the workplace and starting those tougher conversations around bias, stereotypes, discrimination, etc., while feeling safe and not causing trouble? Hmm. Oof. That's a whole lot packed in one question. Kyla's a troublemaker, so she can't answer. No, I'm just what? <laughs> I, I call strategic trouble. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so I think the for me, the biggest thing is I feel like I have really good discernment and I can judge people's character well. That's not everyone's gift. Yeah. Right. And so I can pretty much decide 
pretty quickly based on what someone's saying um if they're the right person for me to to share my soul with <laughs> those <laughs> those things like bias yeah. stereotypes discrimination that's like deep stuff like and you don't, don't want to get labeled as like this is the black person that's always talking about the black stuff yeah i'm not here to be walking around you know being negative nancy all the time so yeah. I do think that it's important to find the right people to talk to. And if you don't have discernment, there are some things you can do. Like Kyla suggested listening to the comments people make. Yeah. Like if you're in like meetings and things randomly that have to do with not even diversity, just the way people may talk about. It could be any kind of meeting. Yeah. Like you can just (laughs) tell just from the sort of comments that people make offhand and, you know, just take a listen and just observe if people start making offhand comments. Okay. Can't trust that person. Um, If there's usually a person who like volunteers to like mentor or things like that, I would even Usually those people are very well-meaning sometimes, um, but still use your discernment there. But yeah, just listen to people because they will tell on themselves and tell you exactly how they feel. Mm -hmm. The other piece is you can rely on other people that you trust to tell you other trustworthy people, right? So if you yourself don't feel comfortable moving forward and you think maybe you found somebody who you can confide in about these issues, ask someone who you actually know and trust. Yeah. If that person is someone that you can trust too. Yeah. Usually I, that's a good way to approach it. Yeah. And I think the second part of this question, like starting those tougher conversations, it's not always your job to start that tougher conversation. And I'd even add, once you are able to find, you know, that ally who's able, who you can trust, get them riled up. So my, <laughs> in, in the whole tenure process thing, like there's a certain person in my department who I know if I get them riled up about something, they will bring it up. And this person has tenure. So they're not scared of losing their job or losing anything. Same sort of thing in the workplace. Somebody who's pretty secure in their position, they're an asset to the team, they're probably more senior, Get find that person to get riled up so they bring it up for you and you're just mm-hmm. in the corner like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen corner. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes, it is a little bit manipulative, but guess what? You have to, you got to do what you got to do. It's not sometimes. manipulative. It's strategic. Yeah, strategic. <laughs> Strategery. Strategery, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like barely. Barely. Okay. <laughs> Our next question is from Salt and Light. How can we encourage departments to prioritize cultivating a healthy and supportive climate for women of color even before recruitment? So how can they care before they get there? It's basically the question. Oh, that's, I like that. Care before they, let me put that on a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So last year we created the IMCS guidelines for successfully mentoring black slash African-American commuting science doctoral students. So this is something we spent a lot of time kind of iterating on yeah. in several meetings, discussing like what what do departments need yeah. to make their culture more inclusive, more welcoming to students of color, but specifically black or African-American students. Right. And along the lines of like recruitment, um, we really felt like it was important 
because this is for grad students, right? So like right. really felt it was important to for the institution to develop like strong relationships with other institutions like well before the recruiting process begins. Yeah. So like having this I hate the word pipeline, so pathway yeah. into the program. Um doing campus visitations for students so that they can see what the space looks like. They can meet students and talk to them and see how they feel in the space. Yeah. Showing that there's community because nobody signs up to go to an island. Right. Um, Really equipping faculty or teachers with the skills that they need to be effective mentors. A lot of it is just about relationship. Yeah. I think probably the majority of what we suggest is really around how do you create relationships with people who are different from you? Yeah. Because we're really good at doing it within groups. Mm-hmm. We're not necessarily great at doing it across different groups. That's true. And that's really what departments should be prioritizing is like, what can we do one to identify the populations that we want like where they are and how do we go to them and develop a relationship with them. Yeah. And I would even add some of the stuff in the guidelines, you would assume that these things would be given that you would have really good advising, a mentor, um, really good source of funding. But oftentimes there's a disparity with, for especially for women and people of color and actually getting these resources. Mm-hmm. So these guidelines are more so a, hey, all the things that a student needs to be successful, be intentional about making sure they're meeting these milestones and these marks and that they're not just sort of falling in the cracks. And it's not even just like getting the resources. It's even like being aware that the resource exists. Exist. Right. <laughs> and so that's half the battle. I work part time in our graduate school. You would be amazed at how many students are unaware of the different types of funding we have. Oh, yeah. The types of resources we provide through, like, professional development workshops. Yeah. All of the things that we've put in place to help students be successful. There's so much within that space that most institutions don't provide. Yeah. But it's here on our campus, and our students are completely unaware that it's there. So... A lot of it is really just bringing awareness to what you're already doing. And if you can do that, you can get more people involved and you can help kind of articulate to students like what around them could help them be successful in graduate school. Yeah. And even the devil's advocate would be like, well, why do we need to um, make this special treatment for minorities and women of color. And to that, I always say, because number one, uh, minorities women and women of color tend to be isolated in these programs and may not get access to the resources that their peers do just simply because of the way information flows. People tend to talk to others who look like them. So if it's something that's spread to a student organization or something they're not a part of, then they're left out by default. So by making sure that everyone and making a special effort to make sure that women and people of color have all all of the resources, access to them, have this advising, then and only then can we make sure that they're getting the exact same support. And the resources aren't necessarily specific to a certain demographic. Like these resources are readily available to other people. But if I don't have parents who went to college or like a sibling 
or anyone. I'm just not part of the group who knows about this, you know, for whatever reason. Nobody's like, hey, random person who I think probably doesn't have support. Let me talk to you (laughs) about all of the things that are involved in being successful in graduate school or being successful as a college student. No one's doing that. Um, There are special programs for it, but unless someone is actually like strategically making an effort to make these spaces supportive, yeah, it's it's falling on infertile ground. I'll say that. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Definitely, and I think that kind of ties in with Nikki's question: How do we make more safe spaces for women of color in tech? So, yes. Before they get there, there need to be things put in place to make sure we're not excluding women of color, people of color. Um, But creating safe spaces, oftentimes a safe space may not exist on your campus. I recall when I was in grad school, I was the only black woman in the department. So my safe space was virtual. Like I went to conferences and met other women of color. And we would keep in contact. We would text each other. We would be on uh, instant messenger. Like we would just keep in contact with each other and say, hey, what are you up to right now? What are you doing? I'm about to write this chapter. Like even just supporting each other throughout our dissertation and things like that. And no one would ever know that like me, somebody at Northwestern, someone at UVA, like all of us are isolated where we are, but we have this network. You couldn't tell me that that was not my safe space. So be creative with this. Um. I think when I was an undergraduate student, I came in to the University of Florida and it was just like, whoa, there's a ton of black people here, (laughs) which is weird because it is a predominantly white institution. But at the time we had like somewhere in the teens, a percentage of black students enrolled at UF, which is wow. That's unheard of. Yeah, it's crazy. So it was it was black enough for for me. And um, though it's declined uh, over the years, a lot of the programs that were there, um, they still exist. And they've actually increased some of the efforts that they have to support underrepresented students across campus Mm -hmm. through offices that have been institutionalized. And that is huge to have a space where, you know, like there's a center for multicultural and diversity affairs and there's a historical building on campus that That's supports right. black students. And within the College of Engineering, there's the Office of Student Transition and Retention. And so, like, there's all of these spaces that you became aware of when you went through the, like, we our orientation, our freshman orientation. And there's opportunities, like, before school that you can become integrated into these communities. That's really cool. Like, if you yeah. can find an institution that has that ready-made and institutionalized. And then in terms of, like, graduate school for me, none of that was there. So yeah. <laughs> graduate school is kind of one of those things where it's like, choose your own adventure. And, <laughs> and Turn to page 52. Oh, a snake just ate you. All right, start over. Go back to 36. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for me, as someone who'd been at the institution, I was uniquely positioned as someone who had relationships with administration, with staff, with students to create a space. Um, And then to have that space respected and supported and amplified by the administration and, and by staff. And so I always tell people to be your own advocate 
if the space doesn't exist, create it. Yeah. If you feel isolated, change it. Like this life is not about walking into ready-made situations for you to be successful. And that would be great. Right. (laughs) And maybe somebody will be able to walk into that because Mm -hmm. you created it. But if it does not exist, you might have to go ahead and put pen to paper, get five people to decide to be in a student group with you, apply for funding, and keep it moving. Keep it moving. Yep. Okay. Our next question is from... Afuya. Afuya. How do you thrive, Kyla, (laughs) as a black woman in tech? I drink water, I moisturize, (laughs) I eat my vegetables, and I sleep. Mm -hmm. No, I'm joking. Um, She's not joking. I do 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 all of those things. (laughs) They do contribute to me being a sort of modestly well-rounded, maybe oval-rounded person. You know, there's some some corners, but, you know... Uh, As a black woman in tech, I'm assuming that you're meaning that being the only person who looks like me in a technology-dominated field, and for me, I feel like you have to know who you are. I dealt a lot with um, imposter syndrome because I'm like, all right, I'm the one who looks like me. They only got me here for a quota. Mm. You know, they were out of black women or something. Like, they just needed to admit one so the university would be happy. You tell yourself these untrue stories sometimes, but at the end of the day, I had to have the resolve to know who I am and what I was capable of in order to just tell myself, because my biggest enemy was myself to my thriving. Like there are oftentimes there aren't people who are actively seeking out your demise, but the situation might make it look like it is sometimes. I'm not saying there aren't because you you got a crazy story about that, (laughs) but I would say I think some people are just aloof sometimes and they may not be actively seeking out your demise, but they are complicit in a system Mm. that keeps you from thriving. So knowing who you are and forget the haters like I my parents raised me with a healthy level of don't give a cuss. (laughs) And (laughs) that's the best way I can put it. So just If they ain't paying your bills, then why are you paying them any attention if they don't have any direct influence on anything you're doing? So, Mm -hmm. And also being humble enough to seek mentorship. There's a ton of stuff I don't know, but I know how I can find people who do it well. So I have a ton of mentors for all different kinds of things that I want to do. And I'm humble enough to be like, I don't know anything. (laughs) Can we have, can I get you coffee and we can talk about the things? (laughs) I feel like you say that a lot. I'm just saying. (laughs) You got to know what you don't know. (laughs) All right. So our next question comes from Unique Rat. (laughs) And their question is, how do you incorporate more technology into Black History Month events? Hmm. Um, We out here. We here. (laughs) (laughs) And I think... It's interesting that oftentimes you see the same black people, like black historical figures, highlighted every single year because they're the only black people that are taught in our educational system. And that's really unfortunate because there are so many black inventors, um, black first, black stories. that are out there and with a little google search (laughs) or i should say with a little search engine investigation you can find all of these stories that 
you might want you might even want to ask like your family members yeah and get pers- I just found out that I'm a fourth generation educator oh wow on my mom's side that's cool um I just happened to ask that question because I'm working on something that's relevant to that but we don't ask yeah. about our history or our past and I think the same is definitely true for technology there's there's a general idea that a really nerdy white man <laughs> and his friends created just about every piece of technology. And black history doesn't have to be like ancient black history. Right. We got it can people be making history. Modern every day. history. Right. Like that we can highlight. So Yeah. And I got this uh I just recently got a Twitter message about someone who had worked with um, a lady named Ruthie Lyle who's at IBM mm-hmm. and I was fortunate enough to be in her group and I sat across from her. She has like a trillion patents. Like look up Ruthie and like they're all through IBM. She's won the inventors award. Like people who are literally sitting across from you, you yeah. know, our black history every Every single day and like uh, same company, actually, IBM, Mark Dean, he's toted as being the um, father of like the color PC monitor and the industry standard architecture system bus and the first gigahertz chip. So basically, he's the one who makes the computers compute. Mm. Why do we not know that this is a black man? He comes to Nesby stuff all the time. He's really cool. You wouldn't even know it. But yeah, Googling, there's a Instagram account called Because of Them We Can. There's lots of accounts that do a really good job at highlighting maybe lesser known or up and coming people who are making history in their own right. So celebrating these untold stories, like you're saying. Yeah. And we're trying to do that on the podcast. Right. Too. <laughs> so, if you didn't notice, we have a little podcast. Yeah, we're, we're inviting <laughs> entrepreneurs and people who are creating content, like creating products, creating technology, software, like all of these things that, yeah. Definitely should be highlighted. I mean, I'm sitting next to the first black PhD, black female PhD. Wait, you're the first woman of color. Yeah, PhD PhD. at Michigan. So, I mean, like, come on. Like, we have firsts. We have people who are doing amazing things. We just need to do a little bit more work to make sure they're being highlighted. Do the work, like Mother Yanla says. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next question is from Nun Major. And it's what are some of the challenges you all faced as black women in tech? Um, Child. Chile. <laughs> so we've mentioned imposter syndrome, which yeah. is like really just questioning your existence, like whether or not you belong, why you're there. Why, yeah. why anybody let you in here? Right. Who let you in? <laughs> um, I don't know how you got in with them shoes on. but girl, it, was a, it was a journey. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think I, that's a thing that your whole life you're going to contend with. Yeah. Unless you're like really, really conceited. <laughs> and so I'd rather you wrestle with imposter syndrome. Right, and walk in the door like, I got this. I know everything. I know all the things. That's how catastrophic failures happen. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, imposter syndrome, I dealt with a lot of, like, internalizing what other people were saying about me who didn't even know me. Um, 
you know, we got haters. Like, yeah. like we were talking about earlier, haters are everywhere. You got to be resilient. Yeah. And the facts of the matter are, no matter where you are in the world, as someone who's black and a woman, the cards are stacked against you. Unless you just happen to be in a room full of black women. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Beyond that, like, you're going to deal with isolation. You're going to deal with um, issues of feeling like you're not enough. And you have to have enough self-esteem, enough support, enough community. Like, you have to be able to say, I know who I am. And who I am is enough. That was literally the mantra that my therapist gave me in grad school. Really? Yes, because I was having a time. And my therapist was like, I need you to repeat this to yourself. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I was, it was, I'm, I'm doing the best I can, all that, and I am good enough. And that is enough. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, that's so powerful. I mean, it's, re- it's really, it's super simplistic, right? But... We discredit ourselves all the time. And I think, you know, as women, we're kind of conditioned as we're growing up to be the person who kind of just deals with all of the things. Right. And doesn't ever take time to, like, process what's happening and whether or not it's beneficial and all that kind of stuff. And if we let one thing fall off the table it's like the whole world is ending yeah i saw a quote the other day that said just because i carry it well that doesn't mean it's not heavy right and i feel like we're able to carry a lot of stuff well and do a lot of things and juggle all the balls and not think about ourselves or other people may not think to inquire hey how are you doing how is all of this load that's Mm -hmm. been thrown upon your back but you have to extend yourself grace yeah and compassion and the world may not ever give that to you if you don't give it to yourself. So, um, yeah, I think the the challenges are, are there no matter what. Yeah. No matter if I'm a stay-at-home mom or I'm the CEO of a Fortune 50 company. Yeah, my one of my biggest issues was other people not having home training. And by that, <laughs> I mean that sometimes people grow up in environments where they're not used to having to think about other people Mm. and not even just, uh, just people who don't look like them, who don't act like them, who didn't come from the same background as them. Like I had a professor tell me I've never taught one of you before. Like people who just say problematic things because they don't know any better. So that's where the home training part comes in. I was told I was difficult. Mm. (laughs) I can't. But yeah, and I was just telling one of my mentees today, I just treat people as though they have some undiagnosed mental illness. So when they act crazy, guess what? They're acting exactly the way I expected them to. (laughs) And when people act right, it's like, I'm so glad you took your meds today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that makes sense. I think. That's how I get through it. (laughs) All right. Our next question is from Candy Girl. And it's related to the last question. Oh, yeah. It's related to the last question, actually. Uh, What are ways you've learned to stay optimistic in these situations when it seems like change is taking forever? This is a whole podcast episode. (laughs) It really is. I don't know why you asked this. We know who this is. Oh, really? I mean, like, I think about, like, the research on why we have so few people 
in tech who are from different demographics. We look at like educational disparities and all of that stuff. Like we've come a long way. But that doesn't mean that like change is something that we're going to see happen exponentially within our lifetime even. Yeah. Okay. So one way is that if you are at an institution, oftentimes people describe institutions as slow turning ships. So change is going to seem to take forever because there's various levels and things that need to happen and various levels of approval that things have to go through. But I stay optimistic because I'm in the room where they're making these decisions and I can be a part of shaping this thing that's happening. So I may not necessarily be able to jerk the steering wheel, but I can say, all right, we need to go 10 more degrees to the left. And I'm in the room where we're talking about it and just having that sort of just what's the word I'm looking for? Just like that marathon endurance, being able to just stay the course. And and let's say you have to leave the marathon, making sure that you put things in place and make sure that your thoughts are given to the people who are going to succeed you and making sure to document things well and not just saying, oh, this change didn't happen, so I'm leaving. So now everything you've done is in vain. And that happens a lot where people Mm -hmm. feel like, oh, you're not moving fast enough. You're not doing what I asked you to. I'm out of here. And we have lots of just wasted effort in that way yeah i i'm an i'm not an optimist (laughs) and in fact like generally i get yelled at for being pessimistic about what is actually going to occur but i'm also very stubborn (laughs) and so i tend to be someone who like if i don't get my way I'm just going to ask somebody else, right? Like there are different ways to go about arriving at a solution to a problem. So if I run into a wall, I'm I'm going to go the other direction. Right. And I'm just going to keep doing that. And there might be infinite ways for me to do that. And there might be only a handful. But I feel like part of it is I'm in a place where I feel like my voice is being heard and it's being supported, it's being validated, and it's not being ignored. It may take them forever to address my concerns, but it'll be addressed because I'm not going to be the person who kind of stops that effort. Yeah. Amelia asks, what can we do as women of color to be able to talk in a meeting with your team, who are all men, and be able to argue your point? Hmm. I don't know, Amulia. Like my first gut reaction when I read this question was to dig deeper and say, like, what makes you feel like you can't talk in this meeting? Um, I mean, I am not that person (laughs) at all. Like I am full extreme, maybe off the charts, extrovert woman. And I have never felt like. I cannot voice my opinion or argue my point. Um, I grew up with an attorney as a a mother. And so arguing my point. That's like home training right there. (laughs) Was like, (laughs) if I wanted anything, I needed to be able to have a sound argument. Right. And so it may not come across as like negative or argumentative, but it, it was definitely something that I had to like think through critically how I would approach what I was going to say before I said it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's 
how we should approach conversations in general when we're talking to people who may not share our opinion or our viewpoint. Yeah. Um, know your audience and know what compels them, but also like have a very articulate plan on how you're going to give them the information to be on your side. Yeah. One thing I've heard people say is they have a meeting before the meeting yeah. where you might pull aside a few people who you feel like might be on the same side as you for your point. And you all already before the meeting say, hey, we're going to argue for this thing. And when you all get in the meeting, it almost seems organic. Like, oh, we should do this. This needs to happen. Yeah. So, um, if you're not a person who is very outspoken, I'm just going to read a little bit into your question. You know, you might be very polite and everybody's talking over each other in the meeting and you're kind of in the corner like, but, but my stapler, you know, just kind of not sure, you know, how to interrupt or things like that. You can get people on your side before the meeting happens so you don't feel like you need to talk over people to it's kind of like the analogy I used before where getting a senior person riled up about something that <laughs> you know interests you you know get someone who's loud to be like hey can I can we have a meeting real quick I want to tell you about this one thing I'm thinking get them on your side and then you know they can be the loud voice in the room if you don't think that you're a loud person yourself because we're not all the same Jeremy and I are both very much extroverted so if there's something we're gonna we need to say we're gonna find a way to say it, but I'm learning about this thing called introverts. <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes introverts don't feel comfortable oh, with gosh. this, you know, sort of human interaction thing. So while I don't That's understand because you that, married one. That's really why you're learning about it. <laughs> he's not actually not an introvert. Okay. Through all the assessments. I told him he's answering the questions wrong. He's, and he he's telling really a whole is. lie. He really is. He goes I think he's like right in the middle. He's no. he's in the middle. Mm -mm. But anyways, uh yeah, I'd say for if you're someone who doesn't feel comfortable with that kind of confrontation, that would be a really good strategy. But think about also what makes you feel like you can't talk. Is it because you're not the most senior person in the room? Whatever. You have things to contribute and don't let things don't let anything make you feel like you can't talk in a meeting and you can't contribute. I do think some people just aren't confrontational. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with being an introvert or an extrovert. It's yeah. just that you don't like tension. Yeah. And it makes you uncomfortable. And to that, I'd say get over it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. if, if you really want people to hear your opinion, you have to be willing to take whatever effort it make, whatever effort you need to get your point across. Yeah. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, but sometimes that uncomfortability is necessary and you just have to let go. Yeah. I have a student who, um, I won't say their name, but they're a person who has a lot of opinions, but is a very quiet person. So we literally meet and talk strategy about, okay, I need this thing to happen. What do you think is the best approach? Mm -hmm. So you may, this person doesn't have to achieve what they want by yelling, but by being strategic about what they want and what they're trying to get from a specific person, um, they have had a lot of success. So yeah, you need to plan it out. Mm-hmm. Our next question is from Emily, and Emily wants to know, how can I help others when I feel like I need help myself? You know what? <laughs> I think Emily might be inside my head because that's like, I'm like, why do people come to me for stuff? You're... I am drowning. <laughs> okay. You're, you're an you're extroverted black woman in computing. Yeah, and not... I'm drowning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I, I do this all the time. Um, 
the creation of like a whole student organization when like I ain't really need a whole student organization to <laughs> to feel community and feel supported. But everybody was like, you're the only one. You're the one who can do this. Right. And I was like, fine, <laughs> I'll do it. Um, you're the Harriet Tubman of engineering. <laughs> child. That actually might be a really good analogy. <laughs> but the thing oh, is, gosh. like, I know my limits. Right. And in terms of like helping other people, like I'm predisposed to do that because it's something that like I watch my parents do and I firmly believe is is an important aspect of my faith and something that I won't compromise on. Like I feel like if I've been it's like that too much who's to whom much to is who given. much is given, much is expected. And so I firmly believe that it is my responsibility to help other people even when I'm struggling. Absolutely. However, comma, <laughs> um, I sometimes don't think about me as much as I should. And so I've identified other people to be that voice for me. So yeah. I have other people who will ask me, does this fit my priorities in some way? So like my boss has given me this mantra will this help with tenure and promotion? <laughs> and my husband has decided that that is going to be his mantra too. <laughs> wow. And so between the two of them, they help me prioritize what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, and when I look at my calendar and there's not a space for me to be helpful, Jeremy, I can't be helpful, Jeremy, because I got to take care of myself and the things that I need to do to be successful. Right. Um, but yeah, I think the other piece is um I also think that we should really strategize and prioritize our time well and if you feel like you need to be helping yourself, you probably should be helping yourself. Yeah. And it's okay <laughs> to say no. It's it's not a bad thing to say no. And opportunities to help people will never cease to exist. Right. Like you can do it another day. But like literally in line at Starbucks before we came here, I had a student like, I need to get on your calendar. I need to figure out my life. I'm like, oh, oh okay. That's what the calendar is for. <laughs> yeah, that's what my calendar is for. You've made the space yeah. where people can Interrupt insert themselves. You. Yeah, I have. But on your terms. Exactly. Because <laughs> you ain't going to make no Friday meeting or no Monday meeting on my calendar because that's my research time. Mm. Um, and then also there's an analogy that we enjoy using and it's that airplane analogy, you know, like if necessary, an oxygen mask will come from the ceiling. And that one of the things that they say in that little announcement is to be sure to secure your own mask before assisting others. That's a word. Um, Y'all better fix yourself. Yeah. <laughs> before you try helping fixing other people. Right. Who are you gonna help kicked out of school? Trying to help everybody else. Look, there's a whole biblical analogy about that too. Mm-hmm. I'm about to give y'all some Bible. Take the log out of your eye. Right. <laughs> <laughs> before you try to deal with the speck in someone else's. I'm just saying. Um, Amen. Amen. One thing I would add to that. <laughs> Is uh, as Jeremy said, like being very strategic about 
um, what you do, how you mentor. I'm really good at whenever someone wants to have a call with me about fix my life, I'll take the call on the way to work because I'm not doing anything else. I'm driving. I can have a conversation. So um, being able to recognize those, like, for example, there's a group of black women in CS and I'll meet with them as a group just to avoid, you know, one-on-one meetings and they all know each other. So I'm like, okay, y'all want to talk? Let's all talk Mm -hmm. at this one time. Yeah. I mean, they do group counseling sessions for that reason. Yeah. And like, I, can't meet with every single person who needs counseling but yeah it it can bring you all together you all can support each other and then also like what i'm telling this one person may help you in Mm -hmm. another space so and they can help each other sometimes too and i'd also say to make them do things for you so when i was in grad school i helped so many students in the intro class and then there was an award that came out for like grad student basically of the year and I was like all right so there's this award here's the application form and it was after like one of our sessions like you know I've been such a great help to you I'll just leave this right here and I won (laughs) because I literally was like y'all aren't gonna take my you're gonna pay me for my pain (laughs) you're gonna do something for me because I've done all of this for you so figure out what Mm. you can also get out of this mentoring relationship or this you know how you've helped other people yeah never hustle backwards nope that's a mantra I have Sorry. Raquel wants to know who is our greatest inspiration and what does representation mean to us? Hmm. Hmm. I would say my greatest inspiration is the greatest of all time, Miss Serena Williams. <laughs> and not only is she the best at what she does, she's like the best athlete on the planet uncontested and the thing that I love about Serena is that she is herself unapologetically if you were to think about women's tennis you typically think of someone who's very pale stick thin with a little tennis skirt you know but she looks nothing like the stereotypical tennis and I'll say tennis in quotes player but she gets out there she dominates she came to disrupt and that's my girl that's cool yeah um I'm one of those weird people who I don't care about celebrity or status or any of those things. I mean, I love Mariah Carey, but that's because <laughs> she can sing. Um, but like when I think about people who inspire me, I think most about my parents. And like my mom and dad are two of the most incredible people that I've ever met. My dad got, he just completed a master's in divinity a couple years ago. He's retired and was like, I'm going to go back to school. And then he was mad that he went back to school. But I'm like (laughs) in school at the same time as my dad, you know, talking about like all of the work that he's doing and all the stuff that he's accomplished. And I'm like, that's super awesome that you would devote your life to something like this. And like, I remember growing up being displaced all the time from my bedroom because, you know, we'd have people come and stay with us, missionaries from all over the world. Oh, wow. Um, and they would leave me and go, <laughs> and go to different countries and, you know, just genuinely love on people and develop deep, meaningful relationships that they still maintain to this mm. day. Um, but my mom is someone who inspired me more than I knew. And, 
you know, I've, I wanted to do work where I had the ability to really impact other people's lives. And it was her example and the work that she did. So like, she's, first of all, she's brilliant. She used to read a hundred books every summer. Oh, wow. Just cause she grew up in rural Mississippi and she graduated with her law degree before she was 21. Man. In Mississippi. Mississippi. <laughs> right. Mississippi. Um, <laughs> That's unheard of. Yeah. So she's brilliant. She makes me feel inferior all the time because <laughs> because of that. Um, right now, she runs the state of Mississippi's HUD office. And she's done so much to like eradicate lead in mm. public housing and to build affordable housing for families and like her job is a selfless act. Oh yeah. And I I hope to have that level of impact with what I do with my career. But I don't know that I will. But having her as an example of seeing it as something that I can accomplish is a gift that I can't replace. Um so Awesome. Shout out to my mom for being a boss hey. and for my dad for understanding that she's a boss and <laughs> wiping her up. Um, yeah. In terms of like representation, I mean, I'm not one of those population parody type of people where I think like every discipline needs to have a specific, yeah. you know, like based on the population, a certain amount of people. But I do think we should be in a space where I'm not the only one. Yeah. And that people have the access and ability to achieve their educational goals and they're not being marginalized by st- these structures that have existed since Jim Crow. Right. Um, and so if we can't move past all of that like structural racism... I don't know what we can do to make representation more realistic, but I know that no matter what, I'm going to fight for it. And that's, that's literally what I'm working on now (laughs) is how do we diversify engineering and computer science and what are ways that we can do it that aren't these kind of one and done efforts, but efforts that are actually going to move the needle. To me, representation is like if someone chooses not to be a computer scientist or not to be an engineer, it's not because of lack of exposure Mm -hmm. or lack of really good role models. It's because they just don't want to do that. And everything's not for everybody. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's really good. I mean, I I chose engineering because I wanted to. I knew it was an option. I got plenty of exposure to different careers. And I was like that. See, That's I didn't I have want. exposure. I was like, I like computers, and nobody will tell me how this computer works, so I need to go to school to find out what this computer thing is doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally it. Like, it, I just needed to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cheryl asks us, how do we engage underrepresented students who don't imagine themselves as succeeding in tech? 
Kyla wrote this. No, I can't. <laughs> Girl, this. <laughs> Efforts like this where we're showcasing and telling stories of people who are successful in tech. And hopefully um, you can see yourself in or they can see themselves in one of our stories, some of our stories, and know that they can have the exact same success because there's nothing special about us. Except maybe we're a little more stubborn than most and, you know, have a little bit of grit and endurance. But for the most part, this isn't something that's impossible. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. I was about to say, I'm fabulous. I don't know about you. But. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's nothing special about, like, you don't have to have I'm some not unique a genius. X-Men. Yeah. Right, right. You don't have to... The, also, I would even say the people who are geniuses, I see leave at a higher rate. People yeah. I would consider geniuses because they don't have the ability to be resilient, to bounce back when there's adversity. So you need to be a whole person in the first place to just know that your own existence, your value as a person does not have anything to do with this entire program. You have to have a healthy level of disengagement with it or disassociation rather with it. Um, yeah, I, I just tell people like, I work hard. Yeah. And if this is what you want to do, if you can outwork the people around you, you're going to be successful. That's just yeah. that's just how it works. I agree. Uh, next question is from Rain. Hey, Rain. And she asks, what do you do if your colleagues don't want to identify as people of color or black, even if they are? <laughs> <laughs> Child. You can't make nobody be black. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, Ray, if you were here, we would ask you a couple more follow-up questions. Right. I need to know so, more. <laughs> yeah, but so we're just going to assume what you uh, would say. But I know I had the experience in grad school where we would have all of these initiatives for students of color. And I see a random student of color and I'm like, hey, come to our initiative. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, that's not me. One black guy actually told me I don't believe in segregation. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, okay yeah it's, um, it's a whole a whole thing but i had to sit back and think okay number one i was first a little off put by it but then <laughs> at the end of the day what does their blackness have to do with me mm. and also if they have that mindset or that frame of mind why do we need them in the room if we're trying to make advances and talk about things that are pertinent to our stories and our resilience and our um our sustaining ourselves why do we need a naysayer in the room yeah um yeah agreed okay <laughs> <laughs> you want to add anything no i think that was that was sufficient all right um i'm also gonna just ask this next question so michelle wants to know are y'all doing anything to build coalitions for the latinx or afro latinx communities Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the short answer is, in fact, yes, we are. Um, so we just came from the Grace Hopper celebration whoop, whoop. Um, and had a really good meeting with Johnny, who's over Tecnolachicas. Hey, Johnny. And we are really interested in doing an intersectional type of activity where we talk about issues of the Latinx community. Um, I personally have been harassing people for the last at least two years about what we can do to make uh, this type of project get off the ground because right now we don't have anything that shows it. But we are super, super excited about partnering with them mm -hmm. and NCWIT's excited to 
IMCS, all of us. We're all happy. Yes. It's going to be great. Also, you know, our podcast, everyone's welcome mm-hmm. to listen. So there's so many people who see themselves in our stories that may not identify as a black woman. So it's not as though, you know, this is only for black women who are in computing. Like there's so many analogies that uh, people in the Latin community would probably be like, you know what? I've seen some of that, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. OK, so that wraps up this Ask Us Anything episode. And that was fun. I know. I'm surprised that y'all didn't ask us like personal things. That's true. But I'm also grateful. <laughs> so <laughs> you're welcome to do that on social media. Yeah. And we may or may not answer. We gonna answer them. Kyla, so. Kyla can answer. <laughs> them. We'll pick them out and answer. This was fun. I really like having this sort of engagement with the people who listen because you know. Y'all need to know stuff and you might be wondering things and we'd love to tell you. I don't know that I'm the expert on all this stuff, but I do think that these types of things promote additional dialogue and help us move conversations forward and help us think about ways that we can engage our guests moving forward too. So hopefully, you know, some of these themes will emerge in some of the other episodes that we shoot. So thank you for contributing. Yes, thank you all so much. As always, you can find us on our website at modernfigurespodcast.com, where you can also purchase items from our online store. Send us questions via email at askus at modernfigurespodcast.com. The podcast is also on social media. Just search for Modern Figures Podcast. And you can find Kyla and I on Twitter. Kyla is at Dr. Underscore Kyla. And I'm at Jeremy Waysup. Until next time, stay hydrated, moisturized, and protect your peace.